0: So you're ready to garden, you're committed to the process, you've maybe even bought some seeds, but now comes the question, where the heck do I put this thing? You've been walking around your backyard for days trying to figure out the best placement and you're just not sure where to put it. Or maybe you can't decide if you want to do raised beds or an in-ground garden, or maybe you should just stick to pots and containers this year. In today's episode, we are going to talk about picking the ultimate garden spot and how to work with what you have to grow the most food. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, bestselling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Okay, so this is a really big topic, and it's, it's kind of a hard topic to tackle, to be honest. You know, I get this question a lot about how do I know where to put a garden, and I'm always kind of like, uh, well, you just kind of just put it somewhere, but I really wanted to break this down to give you actual information today, so you can take some pieces and plug them into your situation, because I know this can feel overwhelming, um... Even if you're just in your backyard, you have your beautiful lawn and you're trying to figure out which piece do I dig up, you know, that can be a little bit of tension. So I'm going to give you some strategies and some techniques you can use to make sure you're putting your garden in the best spot possible. So first off, let's just talk about characteristics of good locations for a garden. I mean, some of these are going to be obvious, but we're just going to go through them quickly. Now, sun, I think, is the most important and the most obvious. Most of the plants you're going to be putting in a garden need sunlight. And so there are a few exceptions to that. Some of your greens and your lettuce are going to be more tolerant of shade, but Most of those vegetables, they they need a good dose of sun. So if you live in a place with a lot of trees or you have buildings or structures that are casting shadow, we want to avoid that if at all possible. We also want to avoid land that has a lot of rocks or a lot of invasive grass, things like Bermuda grass or Johnson grass. That's just going to cause you headaches for years to come. Um, so if you do have that situation and you're kind of like, oh, what I would recommend in those situations are raised beds. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but if you can skip the rocky stuff, do it. And another thing to be attentive for are areas that are prone to sogginess, you know, floodplains, swampy areas, you know, when you're out walking around your yard, they may be dry for a while. And then, you know, during certain periods of the year, they become super waterlogged. And that's going to be a problem. You can drown vegetables just as easily as you can dehydrate them. Been there, done that. So we want to avoid the floodplains or anything that's really sloped, right? That's just going to be difficult with water situations. So flat is good, flat as you can get. Um, Avoid the rocks, avoid the bad grasses, and lots of sun. So Speaking of sun, one of my favorite ways to figure out sun exposure on a property is through sun mapping. And this is really simple. I'm just going to explain how you can do that uh, briefly. But I think that even if you have a pretty good idea of the sunny spots in your yard, if you have trees or you have structures, this there could be periods of the day that are actually more shady than you think. So sun mapping can be very, very eye-opening. I actually did this last year. We were strategizing where to put some new garden areas. And I had this portion of uh, dirt over on the side of our house that I was almost certain would be too shady. Like I pretty much ruled it out off of this potential garden area list. Well, surprisingly, I did sun mapping and realized that it wasn't near as shady as I thought. and It actually has a lot of potential. So sun mapping can also open up more possibilities for you. So here's how to do it. So first things first, you're going to need some blank sheets of paper. And just draw a simple map of your property or your yard or wherever you're planning to put this garden on the paper. It doesn't have to be super detailed. Basically, just draw... The buildings and the trees and the big structures. And then within that drawing, you can designate the areas that you might want to put a potential garden. Next, you want to make four copies of this map. Um, you can use a photocopy machine or just trace it. If you use Sharpie to draw your map, it's easy to trace. And now you're going to pick a sunny day. So you're going to plan ahead of time for this because you need a full day to do this. And it needs to be a Sunday, not snowy or rainy or overcast. Um, and I like to, to designate four targets throughout that day. So I usually go like eight o'clock, 11 o'clock, two o'clock and five o'clock. And you're, you don't have to be exactly like I am as far as my little windows of time, but that just kind of gives me a good overview of the sun throughout the day. And I usually set a timer on my phone because I will forget. And then all I do is, so I'll go out eight o'clock and I'll walk around the yard with one of the copies of the map. And where I have those potential garden plots, I'm going to color the map depending on how much sun. So I like to use a yellow colored pencil. If the area is got full sun at eight o'clock in the morning, if it's kind of partial modeled, sun, I'll use an orange colored pencil. And if it's super shady, I'll use a gray or a brown. And I just repeat that at 11 and then do it on the new map and then do it again at two and then at five. And then I'll take all that information from those four maps. And if an area has, you know, three out of the four times are, you know, shady or partial or sunny, then I will call that area, you know, if This area in my backyard for eight, 11, and two, it was shady. I'm going to call that area shady. So I'll take my master map, my fifth copy, and I will color that one brown because that's going to be a shady area. And I know that it's not going to be a good candidate for planting there. And then I'll repeat that with any other areas. And then you have a really good indicator of what you're working with. And like I said, I have been surprised several times throughout this process, thinking that I kind of already knew what was sunny, and I was shocked. So if you're struggling with this, I think a sun map could be helpful. Okay, next common question is, how big should my garden be? And that's a tough one to answer because there's so many variables. However, I will tell you that roughly... 200 square foot per person is what is commonly recommended. And that's just, it's a little bit rough to do that calculation because it depends on, you know, what you're growing. Some vegetables spread out, some grow straight up. What your family likes to eat, how old are the people in your family? I am generally more prone because this is just how I think and how Christian and I roll to go big, <laughs> go big or go home. Bigger is better. And if anything, over the years, I've always wanted to expand our gardens versus get smaller. Now, obviously, if it's just you and your spouse, you don't need 5,000 square feet of garden space. But I always, I don't know, I'm always expanding or thinking, what else could I grow? Or what do I want to grow more of? So I think if you have the capacity to go a little bit bigger, I would go a little bit bigger. Um, When we picked our garden spot for our current homestead. You know, our place is a hundred years old, but there wasn't, or at least I couldn't see an existing garden plot, which made me really sad because I know there had to have been gardens here, but it had been neglected for so long. You just everything looked the same. So we literally just found a spot of prairie grass kind of in the backyard. Um, We left enough room. Our yard was not defined at all. So we left enough room so we'd have yard space for our future children because at that point we didn't have any. We just stuck the garden kind of off to the side and it was near a hydrant. That was really important to us that we could have easy water access and I wouldn't have to be stringing hoses for five miles. And we, I guess we didn't even really measure it. I just literally eyeballed and thought, well, how big, you know, are other gardens that I've seen? Let's, let's do this. And it was very unceremonious, but that's what we did. And it, it was pretty simple. So I'm telling you that just so you know, not to overthink this. I mean, get the data, absolutely do your due diligence to figure out the best location. So you don't regret your decision later, but it can literally be as easy as going, yep, there's sun here. Let's till and go from there. That's kind of how we've done a lot of our homestead stuff. And then we get refined later. So, um, and yes, our first garden, even though you've maybe seen my pictures of my raised bed gardens now, we didn't start with raised beds. We started with a simple in-ground garden. We tilled it up and raked it and planted, and that was the extent of it. I get a, a lot of people asking about our raised beds now, though, and asking if they should try to duplicate them. So here are my thoughts on the great debates around raised beds versus in-ground gardens versus container gardens. So if you are just trying to get a garden going this year, you want it simple, you want it as affordable as possible, and you don't want a lot of headache, I would say stick with an in-ground garden. And you can borrow or rent a rototiller and just boom. In a weekend, it's ready to go. Super simple. Now, if you're looking at something further down the road, you have a solid idea of your long-term gardening goals, and you're feeling confident in your locations and your plans, raised beds can be good. I I know a lot of people get really hung up thinking that they have to have raised beds, and I don't think that, that everybody has to have raised beds. I just do not think that Now, if you live in a very rocky place, like we mentioned before, or you have a lot of that really rough, difficult grass that's invasive, or you have soil that's not ideal, then raised beds can be wise because they give you a chance to use different soil in your growing. So if you've got a lot of clay that's just impossible to work with, you can bring in different soil and fill your beds. Or if you've got rocks in the ground and it's going to be, you know, tilling them is going to be a nightmare, bring in fresh soil in the raised beds. The downfall to raised bed gardening is it's a lot of work to construct them. And I, I mean, some designs are more work than others. Our raised beds were quite the project. We used that bridge decking steel, which is special order. It's hard to find. And Christian constructed all of them and then we had to level the spot and use equipment to you know set the beds in. It was quite the ordeal and I'm really happy with them. They turned out great but honestly if you're a first-time gardener I think that would be probably biting off more than you want to chew. Just trying to set up something like that. So raised beds can be as simple as putting some boards together. Ours are pretty tall. They do not have to be that tall. They can just be you know, six inches off the ground and fill it with dirt. Or some people use cinder blocks or they use old feed tubs. They have livestock. There are tons of ideas. Um, It just kind of depends on how much time you want to take to build them and how much you're willing to invest. Because they can be pricey if you're building a large number of them. Honestly, if We were to move tomorrow, I don't have plans to, but if we were to move tomorrow and I was dealing with a brand new homestead with no infrastructure, I would probably just go right to the in-ground garden again and work that garden for a while until I figured out what I wanted to do with beds later. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a sec to give you a very important reminder. If you have not yet purchased seeds for this year, I would recommend doing that ASAP. We are seeing some pretty crazy seed shortages right now, partially because a lot of people are gardening who didn't in the past, and partially because of some weird COVID stuff. And there's a lot of varieties that are selling out. So now is the time. I get a lot of people asking about my favorite place to order seeds and one of my absolute favorite companies in the whole wide world is True Leaf Market. They're basically like a giant virtual seed rack. They have tons of heirloom and organic varieties, all the vegetables, herbs, cover crops, flowers, and even microgreens. Plus their seeds have a great germination rate and they ship super fast. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash seeds to do some shopping. And just for my listeners, use code SPRING2021 when you check out to save $10 off your first order of $50 or more. Now back to our episode.
1: Okay. And then our
0: other option in ground raised beds, our third option is container gardening. Um, and this is fantastic if you live in a place where you can't dig up your yard, maybe you don't have much of a yard or your homeowners association won't allow it, or you live in an apartment, does not mean you can't grow stuff. So I would hit the containers hard if I was in that situation. Um, I would say containers can be, I don't know, they're easier on one hand because you don't have to deal with rototilling and building infrastructure, but they can be a little bit tricky because I have found at least when I've experimented with containers that the plants aren't as prone to thriving. I think just because they're in that contained environment. So if you're going to be growing, especially vegetables in a container, you're going to want to give them amendments and food and fertilizer. So they have enough oomph to grow. Uh, I would say the bigger container, the better. Now don't tax yourself to the point where you're like, I can't lift this container. It's going to have to sit here for the rest of its life because it's so heavy and big with dirt in it. Um, you know, don't necessarily have to overdo it, but the bigger, the better as far as getting the plants to thrive versus just maintain, you know, um, in the past I've experimented, I would have an extra tomato plant. So I'd plant all of the tomatoes friends out in my garden and then put the extra tomato plant in a five gallon bucket filled with potting soil. And I would get maybe one or two tomatoes off that bucket plant, but I would end up getting far, far more off of its friends out in the garden. And I don't know, I feel like the yields are gonna be a little bit lower with container gardening, but it's still worth doing if it's your only option. I wouldn't discount it completely whatsoever. You're just gonna have to pay attention to feeding those plants and making sure they have good nutrients in that controlled environment. So absolutely possible. Okay, fence. Versus no fence. This is another big one. For us, a fence has always been non-negotiable because of the rabbits, the chickens, and the dogs, and the occasional stray cattle. I know for many of you, deer are a really big issue. We've not had issues with deer here, so I don't have great advice on that. Um, But from day one, we've had to put a, a fence up Honestly, our dogs are the biggest problem because they'll go out there and dig or eat the tomatoes off the plants or just ridiculous things. And the chickens are another big one. So you have to kind of decide if you have chickens or you plan to get them, are you going to fence the garden or are you going to fence the chickens? Because it's got to be one or the other. Um, I actually have a special guest coming on later this season to talk about chickens in the garden, but they don't always go together as well as people think they do at first glance. In fact, chickens can be massive destroyers of a garden. So we put up a fence for the dogs and the chickens. Initially our fence was treated posts and we used treated posts because untreated posts rot really quickly. And then we put hog panels around it. And then I realized the rabbits could still get through the hog panels like duh, right? So I then lined the bottom foot or so with chicken wire to keep the rabbits out. And that worked pretty well. We don't have uh, like ground squirrels. And obviously, I guess a fence wouldn't really help with that anyway. So there are certain pests I get questions about. I'm like, I don't know how to to deal with those because I just don't have to worry about it. Um, But the rabbits used to be a really big issue. And they would take their giant rabbit teeth and gnaw on my cucumbers and my squash. And it made me so angry. (laughs) So that took care of it. And also finally getting dogs that could chase rabbits that helped probably more than anything. So you may not need a fence. If you have a backyard, you have no dogs, no chickens, no rabbits. You may able may be able to get away with no fence and you just till, you know, in the lawn and you have grass along the edges and call it good. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I say a lot of homesteaders are going to benefit from a fence just to protect their produce. And here in Wyoming, I feel like it's a full-time job to protect my produce from the animals and the hail and the snow is just a lot of effort, but worth it. Okay, so you've mapped out your yard. You know where you're going to put it. Um, you know how big it's going to be, right? And there are some actually some pretty cool calculators. I'm going to link one in the show notes that helps you figure out how much food you might want to plant per person. And again, it's, it's really hard to get hard and fast numbers because it just depends Um, one thing that I think is more helpful than anything is just to think about what you're most interested in. You know, what are your priorities for a garden? For me, my big priorities are always like onions, potatoes, tomatoes, um, beans. Those are the things I really want to make sure I get a lot of. If I don't have room for corn, eh, I'm okay. If I don't have room for zucchini, eh, it's not a big deal. Now you might have different priorities, but I usually map my garden out with those high volume things first that I know I have to have and then fill in the gaps from there. Um, so our garden space right now is in our raised beds and I have 20 beds and they are four by 10. I think they're four four by 10. Maybe they're four by eight. I think they're four by 10. Um, So I haven't done the math on that much square footage, but that's what I grow in. And honestly, we did expand this year because I needed more room for potatoes. So I have no issue having multiple growing areas around our homestead. In fact, I kind of like it. Just, I don't know, it just keeps things feeling a little more organized. Um, But there's a billion and one ways to do this, right? There's so many ways you can lay it out and set it up to make it work for you. Quick breakdown uh, of how we built our potato patch this year, because I think this might be helpful, because this was virgin ground that we were starting completely from scratch. Um, And we knew we wanted just more room for our potatoes, because I was putting them in our raised beds, and it worked, but I just was growing a token amount versus enough to really last us through the winter. So here's what we did. The first thing is we walked around the yard, figured out where, where to put it. We did some sun mapping and we found out that we have these tree rows. Um, actually, this was a part of the tree row where the trees were not thriving. <laughs> we actually had some dead trees, but the tree rows are in strips and there was a the section of grass in between the tree rows that we were always mowing and, you know, constantly mowing and it was just, just sitting there. So Christian was like, what if we till up this strip in between the tree rows and plant potatoes there? So after we realized that there wasn't going to be any shade issues, we had a friend come up. He has a tractor with a tiller on it. Now we have a rototiller, a push, a little walk behind one. We've used that a lot, but for this area, it was a lot easier just to have him come up and till it. And that was mostly just because we have that contact. If you didn't have someone with a tractor, you couldn't fit a tractor into your yard, there would have been nothing wrong with just tilling it up with the hand tiller just would have taken longer. So we had him till it up, uh, go over it once or twice. And then Christian got a load of our composted cow and horse manure. We have a big pile in the back and he dumped a bunch of that over the top. And then our friend ran over that same place again with a tiller and worked that compost into the soil. And then I went out the next day and raked out the clods and the leftover bits of grass and the the rocks that were left over and got it smooth-ish. You know, it wasn't perfect. And then we planted the potatoes. We dug our trenches and put them in and mounded them a little bit. And that was it. And obviously that's on a larger scale. This was a very long potato patch, but you could do that same method on a smaller scale with a push rototiller and some compost that you've made yourself, or maybe you have have friends with old horse manure piles laying around, or you even just get compost at the garden store. So you till, and then you sprinkle that on top and work it again, and you're ready to roll. And we're going to have another episode coming up that's going to take a deeper dive into soil and preparations and all that. But I just want you to see how simple it can be if you want it to be. And it doesn't have to This idea of laying out a garden or finding the perfect spot doesn't have to stop you. Um, Just get a plan and execute it. So on our next episode, we're going to talk seeds, buying seeds, which seeds to buy, heirlooms and hybrids and GMO, and how to make sure, you know, if you have those old seed packets hanging around from last year or multiple years ago, how you're going to make sure they're still good, Um, how I start seeds indoors, why you might want to start seeds indoors this year, even if you've never done it before, and all that good stuff. So that's coming up. I hope this episode was helpful for you. I guess I just want to continue to reiterate during this season that even though gardening, if you've never done it before, it can feel a little overwhelming and a little intimidating. At times, it's worth the effort. And you're going to love the skills that you develop during this whole process of starting your first garden. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out. And we will chat again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So take care, friends, and talk soon.